Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a canoe trek for a cause through 4,500 miles of Minnesota rivers, the latest on Minnesota's bid to host a World Expo in 2023, and a Timberwolves offseason worth howling about. But first, finishing touches are being put on the $300-plus million renovation of the Minnesota State Capitol before the grand reopening celebration August 11th through the 13th. And as part of that, portraits of Minnesota's governors are now back on the walls, although many are in different spots. MNN's Bill Werner talked with the Minnesota Historical Society's Brian Pease. The thing that's a little different, if uh, people remember seeing some of the portraits in the past, um, because we had to put the torchures back to their original location, some of the panels that used to have a governor no, no longer has a governor's portrait. And so now you'll find them in different locations, and it's a... Uh, For me, it's really uh, kind of uh, mind-boggling because for the 29 years I've been here, I've remembered the portraits being in particular locations, and now because of the the change of location, it really uh, provides a different dynamic to the spaces, and it also is kind of a fun thing just to kind of almost uh, explore and, and be reintroduced to a lot of these governors. Well, that will be good for visitors, I would think, because then they can explore more areas of the capital, uh, areas, maybe wings that they had not seen before. Right? Exactly right. And and what's kind of nice, too, the, the way we've set up the sequence now is more of a chronological order. So when you go to the first floor, you just basically are seeing Governor Sibley, you know, the first governor's portrait, and then you just walk around in a clockwise rotation around the building on the first floor, and you'll see chronologically the different governors in the terms of office. And... Uh, we'll be ha- we don't have them up right now just because that's the last phase of the installation of the portraits is biographical text and, and, and plaques that we'll have that will give a little bit more broader understanding of their role as a governor, what was happening in Minnesota at the time. And so it really is going to you know nice to see these paintings back and to really make you know the building come back to life with some of the art that had been here for you know 60, 70 years. So. I'm, I'm amazed at the difference that it makes having human faces on the walls with the history that that evokes as you walk down these hallways. Yeah, and, that, and that's an important part of the history of this building. You know, it's the center of state government, and a governor is the highest-ranking official in the state. And so, back in 1944. Um, not sure exactly who made that decision, probably the governor in consultation with what would have been the Department of Administration at the time, decided let's put portraits of our governors on the walls of the state capitol. And so that tradition has uh, you know, been the same for years and years. And, and there's additional wall spaces here so we can you know, keep putting governor's portraits on display. This kind of signals one of the final phases of the capital renovation, doesn't it? I mean, there's still some work going on, I understand, in preparation for the grand reopening in August, but having this artwork on the walls will indicate that there are not going to be construction people wheeling sheetrock and various right. other things around, right? Yeah, and, and that's that's true. Uh, most of the interior work that was being done with the decorative painting or any repair work was all done pretty much by the middle of April. And so now it was just a matter of finding the best time to do it. You know, during session, it's not a really good time to be putting up 38 portraits just because of the busyness of the building. And so once session uh, wrapped up, then we were able to install these portraits as as part of the decoration of the Capitol now. 
I guess I have to ask you this. As one who has seen, who has covered several of the governors here, whose portraits are now on the wall, and I know Mark Dayton's will go on the wall before too long, another year and a half, two years range, but uh, do you have any feel, or have you ever maybe done an informal survey of, of which portrait is the most popular or most visited here at the Minnesota Capitol? I, I think that's kind of a, an easy one to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be it, Jesse Ventura. It would be Jesse Ventura. Good <laughs> <thought> guess. So. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, we often joke at the you know we uh, staff the information center in, in the first floor capitol. So we always joke the the top three questions visitors have is where one is where's the restrooms, second is can we see the golden horses, and the third one is can we you know where's Jesse Ventura's portrait? So. So that's still going to be, a, you know, an attraction, and um, and part of that is if you come down to see Jesse Ventura, you get to learn stories about other governors too because of the proximity of those portraits. So it's a good educational experience for everyone uh, to, to come come and see the building, not only for the restoration but also to see the art that's going back into its place. That's the Minnesota Historical Society's Brian Pease, Scott. So, Bill, how many portraits of Minnesota governors have you seen put up for the first time in the state capitol in the years you've been covering the legislature? Well, let's see, Scott. There have been so many. (laughs) Seriously, though, the first was Arne Carlson. He broke tradition by wearing a U of M golden gopher's sweater for his portrait. That was one of his favorite means of attire. Then, of course, the inimitable Jesse Ventura, who pushed the limits of official portraits even further. And then Tim Pawlenty, whose painting is actually more conventional. And God willing, I will be around to see Mark Dayton's portrait put up on the wall, I suppose, in a couple of years. It will be interesting to see what tack he takes. There's a lot of speculation about that around the Capitol. Any good stories about governor's portraits? Actually, two. The first was not long after I started as a reporter. Denizens of the Capitol will remember the first portrait of Governor Rudy Perpich that was in the building showed Iron Range mines behind him, hearkening to his roots. But Perpich decided, because he had served non-consecutive terms, that he wanted a new painting with First Lady Lola Perpich beside him. Well, a big controversy ensued, some objecting that his wife was not elected. So Perpich rented a billboard a few blocks away from the Capitol on University Avenue with both their pictures on it and the caption reading, They won't let us in the Capitol, so high from here. Well, the portrait of Rudy and Lola is the one on display in the Capitol today. I'm sure you have to have a good story about Jesse Ventura. Well, Scott, in fact, I do. When it came time to unveil the official portrait at a ceremony in the Capitol Rotunda, the former governor was somewhat upset that he had to foot part of the bill himself, and he decided to extend his feud with members of the state Capitol press corps, whom he had earlier dubbed media jackals, by not granting any interviews. Well, yours truly was standing a little ways away from the governor as he was chatting with his former transportation commissioner, L. Tinklenberg, and this enterprising and maybe not too smart reporter decided to poke my microphone his direction. Governor Ventura came over. He took the microphone out of my hand, let it drop to the stone floor of the state capitol rotunda. It said something to the effect of, don't ever do that again. Yes, sir, Governor Ventura. So that's the story about uh, that my own personal story about the Jesse Ventura portrait, Scott. Sounds like something right out of All-Star Wrestling. Absolutely. It's kind of fun to share those stories. And it's fun to hear them as well, Bill. Thank you for that report. Minnesota Matters will return after this.
Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve, is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit adoptuskids.org. A public service announcement from the US Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. A Minnesota man this week began a long canoe journey of the state's rivers to raise public awareness of an issue he cares very much about. I recently spoke with Jay Gustafson about the trek and why he's picking up the paddles for a cause. Yeah, so the project is called Paddle for Progress. And what that is, is me paddling the 34 rivers that the DNR maps in the state. It's about 4,500 miles. And what I am looking to do is try to raise awareness across the state of the water quality issues that we're facing. So the Pollution Control Agency estimates that uh, between 40 and 50 percent of our water is contaminated in some way. It varies across the state depending upon the river. But what I am looking to do is try to engage people and communities as I paddle through and, one, just, again, raise awareness and help people understand what's impacting the water in their community. And then, two, try and get them involved with different organizations that are committed to any given river. So there are countless groups and organizations along the way. And so I would like to try and pair people and organizations together to hopefully turn a corner here and help people understand that it's really people at a local level who can and must take responsibility for the water in their community. We just can no longer rely on others to do it. And so um, my hope is that um, as, I, as I talk with people and continue to connect with um, organizations that are also committed to um, water quality and preservation, um, that we can, you know, sort of bring people up into the ranks and um, make a difference. Jay, how did it occur to you to raise awareness about water quality in this particular way? Yeah, so um, last summer I had the opportunity to paddle the length of the Mississippi River from um, Itasca down to the Gulf of Mexico. And on that journey, I saw um, the Mississippi transform from this really beautiful, clear, pristine stream up in Itasca to just days later, um, really becoming um, something that I didn't want to hop into anymore. I certainly wanted to keep canoeing on it, but um, you could just see um, just even days after the headwaters, the impact that people and um, 
animals and everything else have on the river. And so one of the things that I was talking about with my cousin last summer was the idea that I would like to paddle um, all of the water trails in, in Minnesota. And when we got back from the trip, I learned about Governor Dayton's call for a year of water action. And as I looked at the state of our water and was at stake for the ability for people to recreate on the water or on the beaches um, and just, you know, even things like drinking water. And, um, you know, it it just occurred to me that if I want to paddle all these rivers and the governor is calling on all Minnesotans to take action to improve our water quality, that perhaps I needed to step up and and try to make a difference doing something that I love anyway. Jay, is there any way for listeners to track where you're at as you make this journey? Yeah, so I do have a website. It's called waterwayjay.com. And so within the website under the current project, um, Paddle for Progress, there is a uh, map of Minnesota that shows all the rivers. Um, each of them as I um, complete them. But one of the other things that's cool about it is that it has a my GPS that will pretty much update in real time. It's about every 10 minutes it updates. And so anybody who wants to pop onto the website and take a look at where I'm at, if I'm in their area, you know, again, that's, that's probably the easiest way. Um, I'll also be posting on Twitter and Instagram. Um, the handle for that is at waterwayj. So um, people can find me there as well, and I'll try to keep that as up-to-date as possible while I'm out as well. All right. Very good, Jay. Well, we wish you the best of luck, and I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. And, and please, by all means, take it easy and be safe out there. Uh, well, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk with you, and I appreciate uh, the well wishes. Thank you so much. Minnesota Matters will return after this. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what, father, what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love, love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make them breakfast. Yep. 
I mean just to maybe um, play like a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do like that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Minnesota is one of three finalists to host the World Expo in 2023. Tasha Rado has more. That's right, Scott. Minnesota could be home to the World Expo in six short years. It's actually been more than 30 years since North America has hosted either a World Fair or World Expo. Joining me now is Minnesota event spokesman Mark Ritchie. Mark, for those of us not familiar with a World Expo or World Fair, can you explain to us the basics of the event? Yes. Every few years, one nation, typically a city or region, is chosen to host what we call a World's Fair or World Expo. Different countries use different words. And they have a theme, and the nations of the planet gather, building pavilions or creating exhibits to articulate their vision, their accomplishments, their ideas about that theme, and other institutions, nonprofits, UN agencies, Religious organizations like the Vatican, um, service groups like Rotary, other globally-minded organizations participate and try to bring people of the world together to discuss, to understand about these themes, and to find partnerships to make a difference. So, for example, the last one, Milan was on food, feeding the planet. The one that's happening just started, actually, this year in Kazakhstan is on alternative energy. Energy future is the theme. So themes are chosen about topics that are of universal interest, and the desire is to be transformative, to help make a difference in the world. And do we know, let's say that the Minnesota event happens, um, do we already kind of have our theme? I think I had read it was a specialized expo. Is that correct? Yes, um, on the zero years and five years, so 2010, 2015, 2020, these expos are six months long, typically unlimited in size, and they have a more generalized theme. In between, there's always one that's three months long, typically in the summer. It's limited in size to about 62 acres, so pretty good size, but compact in a way, and it is normally about a specialized theme. Ours happens to be about health and wellness, and so our focus is on um, health and wellness at the individual level for a person in a family, healthy lifestyle, healthy living, personalized medicine, but also at the community level chronic disease, epidemics, things that have to do with how we um, eat, how we are active, how we take care of ourselves. And so this theme has turned out to be extremely um, 
important in the support we've received in becoming one of the finalists. People believe this is a truly universal thing that every country, every city, every family, every individual has a thought, a concern, an idea about health and wellness, and all of us are interested in staying healthy and being healthy and keeping ourselves um, aware of the things that could affect our health. And then when we are uh, faced with illness or injury, making sure that we have the kind of health care that um, we need to restore our lives and our our families or the lives of our loved ones as well. So those specialized expos are real important. And for Minnesota, the health and wellness theme is very central to who we are as a people in terms of being the healthiest people in the country and the most bike paths and all of that, but also some of the most important global health institutions like the Mayo Clinic, like Medtronic and the invention of pacemakers. Those are also based here. So as a region, this topic and theme is a good way of representing who we are as people, but it's also very important at a global level, and that's what makes for a successful world fair is a theme that attracts and is of interest to the whole world. And, you know, switching gears a little bit, this has to have some economic benefits to the state as well. Well, you have the things that are short-term. Lots of visitors. You know, about 12 million people will go through the turnstile and over three months, 93 days, will, you know, buy tickets, drive here, fly here, stay overnight, camp, all of those things. So that's one thing. The second thing is that you have about a billion people who will view it in some form or fashion on the Internet or social media. And then I know I've taken up a lot of your time, Mark, but my final question, when will we find out who is awarded this? So the final meeting where this vote will take place will be on November 14th and 15th. It's the Bureau of International Expeditions. 170 countries are treaty members, so to speak. They're part of that, and um, the vote will happen, um, I believe it'll happen on the second day, on November 15th, 2017. Thanks again to my guest, Mark Ritchie. For more information on Minnesota's bid to host the World Expo, you can go online to expo2023.info. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return in a minute. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouth full, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Miles, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. There's been a lot of hype surrounding the Minnesota Timberwolves and what they've been able to do to their roster this summer, both through the draft, through trades, and now through free agency. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm has more. Scott, the Wolves have added all-star forward Jimmy Butler, will add point guard Jeff Teague and forward Taj Gibson, and through the draft added Justin Patton. Patton will miss the NBA Summer League over the next week or more because of a foot injury. He will be back for fall camp. Alan Horton is the radio voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves. He was able to sit down with the newest draft pick, Justin Patton. All right, Timberwolves fans, it was a big night on draft night when the Timberwolves acquired Jimmy Butler and the number 16 overall pick, which they used to select Justin Patton. Justin, welcome to Minnesota. How's it feel to be a member of the Wolves? It feels great. It feels close to home. I wouldn't want to be any other place, so it feels good. Take me back to draft night uh, there in Brooklyn. It's got to be a special moment going through something you probably looked forward to for a long time. Yeah, it was crazy just seeing all my dreams come true and seeing every, also seeing everyone else's dreams come through. My mom was pretty excited. and She was really nervous all the time, so it was cool to see her get relieved once, she, uh, we got, once I got picked. Did you have an idea of where you were going to go and to what team? No, actually, I didn't have any idea. I was just, up, I was just out there just winging it. <laughs> so is that nerve-wracking going through that process? I'm a pretty calm guy, so I was just waiting for my name to be called. Uh, you joined a Timberwolves team. You're a Timberwolves fan. You grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, rooting for the Timberwolves. Is it kind of uh, fitting that you end up here? Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think it was a possibility at first, but then I, I wanted to be here, but and they got traded and did everything they need to do, so I'm here, and it's going to be a great time. How about joining a team that's got the likes of uh, Andrew Wiggins and Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns? Oh, it's going to be great just learning every single day from those guys. They've been in the league, and they've been doing some great things, so it would be good to take some things from their game and add it to mine. Give fans an idea about what you bring to this team. I'm an athletic big man uh, who can take uh, other five men off the dribble and who can also pass the ball really well. And I've been known to have a high IQ. Very nice. Uh, what has your head coach, Tom Thibodeau, said about what he's kind of expecting from you? Uh, he just wants me to come in and play hard and just t learn, learn fast. True or false, back in Omaha, Nebraska, home of the College World Series, three years ago you were serving funnel cakes at the College World Series. Is this true? Yeah, f funnel cakes, you can't forget the batter box nachos. The batter box nachos, right. It was, was that a fun experience? Yeah, it was great. Uh, it was right around when I committed, too. So uh, I had a lot of people coming up to just, uh, you had to get batter box nachos before you could take a picture of me. So we sold a lot of nachos. <laughs> Very nice. Um, in high school, you grew eight inches in one year, and it was you said it was a big reason why you redshirted your first year at Creighton. Um, what was that experience like going through that, sort of catching up with your body and, and um, getting sleep? You mentioned a lot of different factors that kind of threw you for a loop that year. Yeah, it was a very awkward time. Just like it was sometimes where I would just be playing basketball and I'd get hit one time and I'd fall on the ground. It was really because I didn't know how to use my body and I wasn't used to being that tall. So, but it was fun. Uh, it was not everybody gets to grow eight inches in one year, and it's probably the main reason why I'm here today. Does it feel a lot different now than it did a few years ago? Yeah, it feels it feels better. I can I, learned, I had to learn how to run again, learn how to do all those things, and I had to lift a whole a whole lot. So it, it feels good to be actually in shape and be able to like use my body the way I should. What do you like to do off the floor? Um, I like to do everything, anything from play games to go bowling or go go go-kart or something like that. It, I'm, I'm a uh, free guy. I like to just be free. That's Alan Horton and Justin Patton. Alan also sat down with the Wolves head coach, Tom Thibodeau. The two newest additions are in the fold for the Minnesota Timberwolves, Jimmy Butler and Justin Patton. Coach, let's start with Butler, a three-time all-star, three-time all-defensive, most improved, all-NBA. He's developed into an elite offensive and defensive player. Do you see him as one of the best two-way players in the NBA? No, there's no question about it. I think uh, when, you, when you get to the uh, three all-star games and you're – third team all NBA and you're an Olympian you've proven that you're an elite player and the thing that I like is that he does everything he rebounds he passes the ball he can score 
Uh, he plays great defense. He's a multiple effort guy, and he's gotten better every year. And, and while he's uh, achieved a lot of success in the league, he's never lost that hunger to improve. Yeah, he's got that mentality, the experience you said you were looking for to add to this young roster. He's in his seventh year. Um, whether it's closing games or playing in the postseason, how does he kind of fit with, with what is still a very young team? Yeah, I think that leadership is important. I think he's coming in. He's just going into his prime right now. Uh, he is a great closer uh, in his versatility, the fact that he can play multiple positions. He can play with a lot of different lineups. He can guard point guards. He can play the point guard. Uh, there's so many different things that he can do. And I think it'll be beneficial to Cat uh, to and Wig because uh, a lot of the things that Cat and Wig are going through right now, Jimmy's just gone through. So he can share that with them, and I think that'll that'll be great for our team. So is that now a new big three? Do you look at it kind of like that? Well, I don't know if it's a new big three, but the, you know, certainly there are leaders, and you you expect a lot out of your leaders. And they, we have to be two-way players, and we have to play great defense. Uh, and you have to put the team first. You have to sacrifice, put the team first. And I think when you look at the good teams, that's what they do. You look at the Golden States, the San Antonios, the Clevelands. They're very unselfish. Justin Patton, what's the one thing that uh, jumped out about him? His athleticism, the way he can change ends of the floor. He sprints the floor. He's got great hands, uh, finishes above the rim, uh, can do a lot of different things. He, he's gotten a lot better from the beginning of the season to the end. Very comfortable putting the ball on the floor, making plays. Uh, you know, we like him a lot. What are kind of your expectations for him as, a, as maybe a role going forward on this team? Yeah, I think the big thing is come in, uh, learn how to be a pro first, learn how to work, study the systems, uh, study the league. It's a different game. Uh, but just put everything you have into each and every day, total concentration, get better, get ready. That's Alan Horton with Tom Thibodeau and Justin Patton on Minnesota Matters. Scott? Thank you, Mike. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.